Welcome to the Mother Nurture Podcast, hosted by Dr. Andrea Rosario, functional neurologist and doctor of chiropractic, specializing in functional medicine, caring for individuals and families with chronic conditions for over 15 years. Hi there, Andrea Rosario here. Today I am bringing to you Peggy Oliveira. She is known as the Survivor Whisperer. She's a trauma therapist and the author of the book, Deeply Rooted. Hi, Peggy. Thanks for joining me today. Hi, I am so glad to be here. I am glad you're here. We had a time because Peggy and I are both busy ladies. And so it was a little bit challenging to find a time we can both gather together. So this is long awaited, much anticipated, and I'm elated to have you here today. So thank you so much for finding the time for me. It's my pleasure. I'm excited. Perfect. Thank you. Okay. So I would love to know the field of therapy is a field of itself and I'm sure it's quite heavy, but you're a trauma specialist. So what brought you to become a specialist in that area? Well, I think like a lot of therapists, we get into it because we're trying to figure things out for ourselves, whether it's for something that we've been through or people that we know have been through. We're just trying to understand like what is going on here. <laughs> um, and I'm, and I'm no different. Um, but I got into therapy kind of accidentally because I had never intended to be a therapist. When I started going to school, I was not a traditional student. I had kids and then I went back to school. I was just looking for what interested me, like what kinds of classes interested me. So I looked through the thing and sociology and psychology interested me. And so I ended up majoring in social work and psychology, or I'm sorry, sociology with a minor in psychology, not knowing what I was going to do. But that was just what I was interested in. So those were the kinds of classes I wanted to take. And then in my master's program as a social worker, kind of the only thing that you can really do as an intern is therapy. So I started doing therapy as a master's level intern and then ended up working in rape crisis. And it was the same rape crisis center that a couple of years earlier, somebody had come to my victims of violence class and spoke. And as she spoke, by the time she finished, I said to myself, one day I want to work there. Little did I know that a few months later, I would be going to that same rape crisis center for my own healing. Wow. That is beautiful. The universe works in glorious ways. Absolutely. As far as specializing with working with the women in trauma, is there a big difference between what a regular therapist would do and what you do? I think there can be. Um, Certainly not going to be the case across the board because everybody brings in their own stuff. And there are people who are kind of generalists who work with trauma survivors and whether they are aware of it or whether it's their focus, they're definitely going to work with trauma survivors because I predominantly work with childhood trauma. And when you consider the different types of childhood trauma, probably half to three quarters, at least of people have experienced some form of childhood trauma. People that specialize in working with trauma can vary as well, because there are traumas that traditionally people have thought of. And then there are more interpersonal traumas that people don't necessarily think of. Those are the things that we don't talk about, that we keep quiet, that tend to have a lot of shame around them. And so there are people who specialize in trauma, looking at it as a general 
kind of issue, almost like anxiety. But there are big differences in working with somebody who's experienced, particularly in adult trauma, like a natural disaster or a significant car accident or even a robbery, in a sense, versus working with somebody who's experienced a lot of interpersonal or childhood trauma. And there are definitely differences in the kinds of things that are important in terms of what it takes to heal from that. Yeah, absolutely. So I guess that's kind of like therapists across the board are used to working with big T trauma, like the things we all think about. But is this when you're talking about the interpersonal trauma, are you talking about sometimes low level neglect, perhaps, or things that you were told about yourself that create beliefs that follow you forever? Or like what types of interpersonal trauma do you? So interpersonal trauma, the way that I describe it, and and I think can help people understand because interpersonal trauma adds additional layers to the wound that it creates and what is necessary for healing. So as I think about interpersonal trauma, it's trauma that is created by another person who's making a choice. Now, it doesn't mean that they're making a choice to hurt you, but they're making a choice about how they're behaving or what they're doing, how they're speaking, how they're showing up with you. Um, Even if it's not a conscious choice, it's how they're, they're behaving with you. And it leaves a wound. And sometimes it's a traumatic wound and sometimes it's just an emotional wound. When I say just, I don't necessarily mean to minimize it. And that's not what I'm trying to do, but how we tend to think about it, like how people talk to you. Are you dismissed? Are, you know, when you're talking about a monster under the bed, are you told that you're just being silly and just go to sleep and don't worry about it? Or does that person listen and say, I'm sorry that you're feeling scared and let's make sure that you're okay. And, you know, if I hear anything, you or if you hear anything, you can come and tell me or like, how do you respond to that? Because when children are dismissed, like you mentioned, like low level neglect, it doesn't have to be obvious. It's just these things that happen over time. And that actually can have a much more significant impact long term on our sense of self than like being a child and being in a car accident, or in some ways, even being a child and like losing a parent. Not that that isn't traumatic, it is. But the difference is that as a child who experiences something that people know about, you're likely going to be supported in that. You're not keeping it a secret. You're getting the help that you need. People are talking about it, hopefully. When it comes to the other kind of interpersonal trauma, like child abuse, whatever that abuse might look like, or domestic violence in the home, or the kinds of things that people just don't talk about, then you're left trying to deal with that on your own. And so again, the wounding that is created is multi-layered, which creates more significant impact over the long term, which requires more to heal. Yeah. And do you find that it becomes their inner voice more or less, you know, on dismissing themselves that they were dismissed as a child and things like that? Absolutely. Yeah. As far as when people have gone through these interpersonal traumas, What's the most common way that you see that present like behaviorally or how it comes out physically, maybe in health issues or any of that? Yeah. So in terms of emotional impact, what tends to show up quite often, depression and anxiety, whether it's clinical or not, but just even symptoms like worrying a lot or needing to have things like 
feeling like you need to control things. Things need to be a certain way. Perfectionism, extreme independence. Those are all really significant feeling um, struggle with like motivation. So it doesn't have to be like a clinical depression where you can't get out of bed, though that can certainly be the case or being suicidal, but sometimes it's much more kind of subtle in a way where maybe you lack motivation, certainly how you view yourself, what you believe about yourself, what you believe about what is possible for your life, for your relationships. And I refer to that as the core beliefs that we develop, because we all develop our sense of self very early in life. When you've experienced difficulty in early life, you're left believing that there's something wrong with you. You may not consciously be aware that you believe that, but on some level, you believe that there's something wrong with you. You believe that maybe you're undeserving or unworthy, and that affects everything about how you show up in the world. Yeah, absolutely. I think a common one that I see just in my practice is people as children tend to blame everything that happens around them on themselves, whether it has something to do, or even if someone didn't talk to them saying it's your fault, they still find a way probably because at that age, you're probably kind of self-centered and not a bad way, just a developmental way, but that they make everything, even like worldly events seem to go kind of directed back at them. Do you see that too? Exactly. And that is part of why it's so um, kind of damaging in a sense, because as I was saying about the kinds of things where people are actually talking about it, right? Like if you lose a parent or you get in a serious car accident, people are talking about it. And so you get other messages about responsibility. You get other messages about it's okay to struggle and that kind of thing where with interpersonal trauma and typically it's child abuse. Those are the people that I tend to work with. And that could be neglect, physical, sexual, emotional. You try to make sense out of it. Even as a very young child, you're trying to make sense out of it and you don't have understanding and capacity in terms of brain development to actually make sense out of it in a realistic way. And so the only thing that you can do is make it about you because everything is about you as a child, as you were just saying. And so it becomes my responsibility. It's happening because I've done something wrong. It's happening because this person doesn't love me. And that develops your sense of self. And all this is happening without your conscious awareness and anything that's happening without our conscious awareness is going to have more impact on our mind and our body and going to what the other part of the question that you asked in regards to like, how does it show up physically or medically speaking, gastrointestinal issues are huge for people that have experienced childhood trauma, fibromyalgia. Is another one that if people are actually diagnosed with it, but sometimes they're not actually diagnosed. So both of those are really big. A lot of like things that are not easily diagnosed. Um, so muscle aches and pains, joint autoimmune issues often. Those are really common things for people to be diagnosed with or, or suspected for people that have experienced childhood trauma. Yeah, that's why I really wanted to talk to you today about it, because I see those exact same kind of symptomatology with people, especially childhood trauma, all trauma, yes, but that childhood trauma specifically, 
my patients that have these random, seemingly random symptoms, they're all kind of tied in with that trauma because of the brain development that happens at that point in time. And then when you're a young kid, you're really basically only functioning on your right brain. And that's where all your subconscious stuff goes. It makes sense that we kind of, we have these beliefs built back then by our experiences, their subconscious beliefs, but then they kind of like walk with you through life. Yeah. And they're reinforced. And they're reinforced because it is also the way that you're seeing the world and seeing the interactions of the world with you. Right. I mean, so then it just constantly reinforces that belief. That's, is that right? (laughs) Absolutely. And it's part of like the idea of a lot of people probably have heard of like confirmation bias. And that's part of that mechanism, because when you believe something, particularly again, unconsciously, when you believe something and we all have core beliefs, When you believe something, everything that you experience, you experience through that lens of that core belief. And I explain it sometimes like people who are really religious, this may seem like a silly example, but it's actually kind of the same thing. There are a lot of things that you believe with everything in your being, because you've learned it from a very early age. And then you've, you've been told or witnessed things yourself that reinforce that belief. Like if you pray and something happens, it's because you've prayed, right? And, um, and so it reinforces that belief and you don't have to sit and think about it, but it naturally does that. And the same thing is true for the beliefs that we have about who we are. So if you believe that you're unworthy or you're responsible for bad things happening and then somebody around you, like a parent gets sick, you're going to blame yourself saying, oh, I was a bad kid and my mom got too stressed out. And now look, she's got this illness because you believe you've already believed that everything that bad happens happens because of who you are. And so you make, you'll find something, you'll make something up. Like it doesn't even have to be based in reality, but you will make something up as to how it's your fault. And then, you know, there's identifying the beliefs, which is probably, I don't even know if that's step one or step three. I mean, that's hard enough to do all in and of itself, right? But then what you do about it, like, what do you do about it, Peggy? Um, I actually think that awareness is the first step. So recognizing that, that there's something going on that you tend to struggle with the same kinds of things over and over again. Maybe that you've done lots of work on something, but yet you still find that you're struggling. Having an awareness that maybe these things that you've experienced in your life have had an impact. So awareness, I think, is the first step. That's the most important thing. It's kind of like moving out of denial in a sense, whether the denial was literal, like you denied anything happened or denial that you've been impacted by it because those are very different things, but they're both very significant. (laughs) Recognizing the core beliefs can take a little bit of time. Changing the core beliefs takes a lot of time because in so many ways, it's quite literally like going through a process of deprogramming. Because again, you believe those things without any real solid evidence. Like if you think about being in a cult and being brainwashed and then having to go through a process of deprogramming, but the deprogramming is from our own mind. It's the things that we've said to ourselves year after year after year about how we're not good enough. How if we could just do this right, then we would be worthy or things aren't happening because I don't deserve good things to happen. 
So we have to deprogram in a sense, those beliefs. And that takes a lot of practice. It takes intentional effort. It takes, I believe, support. Because if we're trying to do it on our own, everything that we're doing is through that lens of those core beliefs. So it's really hard to see outside of that. And having somebody who is trained, who understands all of this, can help keep you kind of on track, so to speak, instead of being kind of taken off on the path that our core belief wants to keep us on. And, you know, in, I mean, I'm just talking the general therapy world, there's things like hypnotherapy and EMDR and like, I think what there's all kinds of different tools. Do you utilize any particular or do you just kind of, is it just sort of like, here's my toolbox and it depends on the situation or... (laughs) It's, it's pretty similar um, across the board because no matter what the trauma is, or even when I had my private practice, I did see some clients that were not trauma survivors. And that's where I really began to understand that this is applicable for everybody because even I'm not somebody who believes that everybody experiences trauma. I believe that we are all wounded. I don't believe that you can escape childhood without being wounded because we're very sensitive as children and we're developing that sense of self. And every parent is going to have a time where they don't have time for you, right? Or your best friend is going to tell your secret or something. You're going to be wounded. So we are all, we are all wounded and it can leave a mark. It can leave a long lasting wound. Interestingly, this is definitely one of the differences going back to kind of your earlier question There are some very valuable techniques that can be helpful for people who have experienced kind of like a one-time trauma or trauma as an adult that are not necessarily particularly helpful for people that have experienced ongoing interpersonal childhood trauma, because they're very different things. What I have discovered, so I've been, I've been working with trauma survivors for over 20 years, is that while there are different techniques that may be able to help alleviate symptoms temporarily, most of them do not work long-term to really deprogram those core beliefs because it really is an ongoing process that you have to go through to be able to undo all of that. So like, for example, you mentioned EMDR. And EMDR is definitely a very common thing. And a lot of therapists will do training on EMDR and then say that they are a trauma expert and work with all kinds of trauma survivors. But in reality, based on experience working with clients over the years, some people find EMDR to be helpful, but again, it's temporary. Many people have found that EMDR can actually make things worse because it ends up bringing things up that you don't really get the opportunity to process mind and body over time, because you can't just process something traumatic in one or even three settings where you do a technique, it's not going to dissolve everything that you're holding on to. And it can make it worse, in a sense, because it brings things to the surface, and it's designed to have you bring up things that are really kind of challenging, right? But then you're left with it after the session and you don't really have an opportunity to process and it needs to be processed. And the other thing is 
With EMDR, eye movement desensitization and reprocessing, it's a lot, that's a mouthful. In all reality, childhood trauma survivors have already become so desensitized. That's how you survive, becoming desensitized. So it doesn't, for ongoing childhood trauma, again, based on, I've not experienced it personally, but I looked into the training very seriously a couple of different times over my career and very specifically decided not to incorporate it for some very significant reasons, mostly what I've just kind of talked about. And the feedback that I've gotten from clients, I've had a lot of clients who have experienced EMDR. I've even said to people, if they wanted to do EMDR, like they're like, what do you think about EMDR? I say, you know, tell them what I've experienced from other clients. If you want to do it, I will fully support you doing it. And I can honestly tell you that while I've had people say, well, yeah, I think it was helpful when we start doing the work and they start talking a little bit more about it, their viewpoint on it kind of shifts a little bit. That's really interesting. And I, I mean, not on the topic of EMDR, but this similar mechanism, I have noticed that some people like real meditation, how you think of silent mind meditation is sort of the same. Like some people are not ready for it if they have unprocessed stuff. It's not a good thing for them. I don't know if you've noticed that too, but certain types are okay, but the certain other types are not ready for that one yet. You got more stuff to do before you can go there. Yeah. And that, that is very real. And, and a lot of, I've, I've worked with people who say, cause I, meditation is one of the things that I do and I encourage, but there are definitely people who aren't able to do that. And part of that is kind of the quietness, kind of, kind of like how a lot of people have started talking a lot about mental health with COVID. And part of the reason a lot of people have struggled beyond the obvious is that we've had to back off from some of the ways that we keep ourselves busy, right? All that distraction when you start connecting, when you start having space to recognize what's really present, you're no longer able to be in denial and distracted in the way that you were before ways of coping. Ultimately. That's so interesting that you said that. Cause I really hadn't put that together. I was, I personally, I'm an introvert. So for me, this has not been in every way awful. <laughs> and I was, I, I mean, not to make a joke of it, but I was literally in my own head thinking well, of course, extroverts are having a hard time with this because we live in an extroverted society. They're used to being catered to. Us introverts are like, how does it feel to have the shoe on the other foot? The world's not made for you. And you know what I mean? I mean, that's so ridiculous. But in my mind, that's what's happening. But it makes more sense <laughs> what you're saying. Because they're sitting there in silence and having to deal with the reality of what they're feeling without numbing it and being hyper busy and overscheduled and all the things that we are in our society. So that makes more sense than my introvert extrovert theory here. (laughs) Yeah, I think both can be true. Um, But yeah, for a lot of people, it really has been quite challenging in that way. Let's see. So we talked about the difference between like the trauma versus the interpersonal trauma, which I love, I don't know that I've heard a lot of people talking about that. So thank you for bringing that out. I wanted to know if somebody who doesn't really address these interpersonal traumas and the, the, the beliefs that they've built and all these types of things. How do you see that playing out generationally? Have you noticed with the people you work with, what happens with their own children or their children's children? Like how does this tend to, why is it important to take care of these things? Yeah, well, it definitely plays out because as I mentioned, 
it completely in every way determines how we show up in the world. And part of how we show up in the world is how we interact with others and, and what we believe about ourselves. And this was actually a really significant thing in my own personal life because I didn't start healing until my youngest child was in kindergarten. And before that, I was never clinically diagnosed or anything. And I don't think that I really would have met technique, like in reality, the criteria, I think I could have easily been diagnosed with it, but I struggled, I think with a low grade depression or dysthymia pretty much my entire life. And that definitely affected how I interacted with my children. There came a time when I separated from my husband that because of what I believed about myself, that I thought my children would have been better off with my husband, my ex-husband, um, because I felt like I wasn't good enough. I felt like they deserved more. And for me, and, and people can go one of two ways in general, as in terms of personality, in terms of how we show up in the world and, and how we deal with difficulty. So some people will go in a direction where they turn everything inward. And sometimes that can be introvert, extrovert can be a part of that, but it doesn't, it's not necessarily that, but that can be a part of it. But we can turn inward and kind of become a lot more quiet, more self-conscious, maybe more depressed, more anxious, just really kind of going in. Other people can kind of be a little bit more external. So they become maybe more perfectionistic. They engage in a lot of things in part to cope with distraction, but also because they're, they're wanting things to look a certain way so that nobody knows what's going on under the surface. They can act out in really negative ways and get in lots of trouble, or they can become really perfectionistic and do really well. So there's technically three ways, but there's one realm over here that's more external, one realm that's more internal. So in terms of, and I was more internal, so that's how it showed up for me as a parent. Externally, what can often happen is helicopter parenting, can be a big example. Becoming abusive can be another kind of an extreme example. Getting your kids involved in everything, basically taking that need to distract and things to look a certain way and putting that on your children and maybe even amplifying it more so than you did with yourself. If it's more inward, then you might be either very enmeshed with your children or disconnected from your children you may feel like you're not, no matter what, you're never good enough as a parent. You may have difficulty really feeling engaged for me because I did not think that I was very good as a mother. I felt like I couldn't trust how to play with them or like that it wasn't good enough. So no matter what I did to play with them, even like as toddlers, that I should be doing more kind of this idea that it's never enough. And every parent struggles in some way with that, for most parents anyway. But as somebody who's experienced childhood trauma, there's this fear almost, and maybe it's a conscious fear, maybe it's not, but a fear of basically damaging your children. I think that plays out for myself as well, for sure. The uh, stuff that happens in childhood, you know, I'm like hyper, probably hyper, hyper correcting high homeschooling, <laughs> you know, homeschooling, mom. hyper, hyper correcting to try to make sure 
that, you know, I don't make those same mistakes. I'm probably, you know, flying on that end pretty heavily, but, you know, I always, I try to give myself a break because I say, give yourself, give your children enough dysfunction that they're going to have a great sense of humor. And so I try to like talk myself off the perfectionist parenting ledge by doing that, but I way can see that in myself for sure. I'm sure a lot of women can see themselves doing that. Yeah. And also kind of freezing with the idea of perfection, because you want, you don't want to harm your children. Right. And when you, and when you've experienced childhood trauma, generally speaking, not for everybody. And sometimes you're really conscious of it. And sometimes it's not conscious at all, but there's also, there's often this drive to be a very different parent, right. Or give your kids a very different life. And while that there's nothing wrong with that in theory, it can become kind of extreme and where your stress can influence your children and then your children can feel stressed as well. And so being able to recognize that is important for your children. But I I want people to also recognize that you as an individual deserve that for yourself, that you deserve the healing because you deserve that, not just because you have an obligation to parent your children in the best way possible, but you deserve that healing as well. You deserve to be able to feel that sense of ease and freedom in life and not worry so much about damaging your children. (laughs) That's a good reminder. I'm sure like most of us really needed to hear that. I know I've noticed a lot with myself for sure, but with people I work with, it's almost always a big motivator for them where they're like, I want my family to be healthy. I want to be there for my family. I want be able to be present and be playful and be for my family. I do this myself. So I'm totally not, you know, glass houses situation for sure. But it's a good reminder because I hear that with women constantly. And, and I've always thought it was really noble of them. And like, I do see when they help themselves and heal themselves that it improves their entire family and it ripples out to their whole ecosystem. But ultimately, they have to do it for themselves, you're right, or it's a temporary fix. Yeah, because the the drive for that, while good, you know, the, the idea of it, the desire for it is noble, like you said, the drive is coming from fear. And when we approach anything, relationships, work, raising children, whatever it is, when we approach it from a place of fear or uncertainty, the energy that we are giving it is not at all the same kind of energy that we would be showing up with if we're doing it from a place of connection and ease and freedom. And part of that is also self-compassion because when we can show up as a parent or in relationship from a place of self-compassion, particularly if we've tended to hold a lot of responsibility or fear about hurting somebody or showing up in the wrong way. When we can really live from a place of self-compassion, then that fear is not nearly as present because we know that it's okay if we make a mistake. We know that not being there for our kid when they, you know, we're saying, mom, can you do this? We know that our kid's going to be okay. Instead of being filled with guilt and thinking, oh my God, what am I going to do? And you've got this person over here wanting this and this person over here wanting this. And then you're filled with all this guilt and fear. 
you're going to show up very differently from that place versus, okay, hold on, just give me a minute here. Let's figure out a way to do both of these or which one can wait till later. Like that's a whole different kind of energy. Absolutely. Thank you very much for that reminder. I think that will it hit home for me. I'm sure it'll hit home for a lot of people. So it is, it is big self-compassion, self-love. It really does have to start there. If you're always beating yourself up, you can put all the goals in the world outside of yourself and you're never going to get where you want to get and never have like true profound healing. Beautiful. Is there something, anything else that you would like to share before I tell them where they can find you if they want to hear more Peggy brilliance? (laughs) Well, I think I would just really like people to understand the truth and the reality that no matter what your history is, no matter what kind of family you grew up in, and it's possible that you grew up in a really incredibly healthy family. Though, to be completely honest, I don't know if that really (laughs) exists because everybody is wounded. Everybody is wounded and it doesn't have to be deliberate. It can come from all kinds of ways and it can come from even well-meaning situations, but we're all wounded. And those wounds, particularly when they are left untreated, create deeper impact. And so we're all walking around with wounds that we may be unaware of and giving ourselves the space to understand What are the patterns that I replay over and over again, whether it's how I think about myself, how I think about the world, how I show up, how I feel, how my body feels or responds, recognizing that, and then giving yourself the space to understand what might need my attention, what maybe is left there to heal. Even if you've done lots of work, whether it's been therapy or coaching or self-help or hypnotherapy or even like no matter what it is, if you feel these same things over and over again, there's still something there to heal. doesn't mean there's something wrong with you because we are all wounded and we all struggle, but there is likely still something there that you can heal. Beautiful. And that is very hopeful. Thank you. If anybody wants to hear more from Peggy, I know she has an awesome YouTube channel. Um, Peggy Oliveira is O-L-I-V-E-I-R-A. Her YouTube is awesome. You should check her out. She's got loads of gems in there. And then also you can find her on CourageousJourneys.com. And you can check out her book, Deeply Rooted. You can get that on Amazon and probably other places as well. But I know Amazon for sure, because that's where I got it. So um, thank you so much, Peggy. It's been lovely to spend the afternoon with you and to finally connect. It was worth every moment of back and forth we, we played with to try to make this happen. So thanks for sharing all of your wisdom and brilliance. And I hope you have a beautiful day. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It's been such a pleasure. Thank you. Alrighty. Take care, everyone. Be well, and we'll talk to you later.